Honestly Cat is back with series three and I'm so excited. I'm your host Cat Raincock and I have been overwhelmed with support for this podcast and my mission to educate and empower women is coming to fruition. There's lots in store for you over the coming weeks and I'm so glad to have you on board. As my book, Born to Shine, The Modern Woman's Guide to a Happier Life, spreads its wings and touches more hearts, it has led to deeper and greater connection to other women, particularly in the field that I work as a women's mentor. These wonderful women will be alongside me sharing their wisdom and chewing the cud on all things that will help you rise and shine and live a happier life. So hold tight, here we go. Before I embarked on my journey of self-discovery, I felt underwhelmed, overwhelmed, stressed, neurotic, and the list went on. If I'm honest, I experienced little true happiness. And what do I mean by this? Genuine freedom, clarity, and inner peace, and those moments of sheer bliss. This is real happiness, when you can walk through life enjoying the highs wholeheartedly and navigating the challenges life tests us with. Prior to this, I almost always wished away happy times, believing they would end or that I wasn't worthy of the good feeling I had in my body. Only now can I sit still in those moments of joy and suck them up for all they and I are worth. But only after a good few years of digging deep inside my soul to understand my past so I could create a new future and a happy present moment most of the time. Happiness is there, but we just have to move a load of rubbish from our subconscious minds out of the way, such as limiting beliefs, distorted perceptions, blame, anger, fear, shame, and that really toxic one, resentment. Offload and understand, and happiness will be right there for you to embrace. Psychologist Cassandra Dunn believes that happiness is available to all of us, as do I and not just in some picture-perfect ideal life. And this week, I'm joined by the Australian author of Crappy to Happy as we discuss happiness and how to find it. Welcome to the show, Cass. Thank you for having me. So you're a psychologist and author, and the reason that I do the work that I do, it was based on my journey and this desire to share what I'd learned and how I transformed my life. Tell me how you got into this work. Oh, that's an interesting story. So I I was always intrigued by psychology. I had a bit of a windy path into where I've ended up now. Uh, but I studied psychology straight from high school. I was just fascinated by human behavior. And, you know, I think I probably had some difficult childhood experiences myself and wanted to understand that a little more. But I actually completed an undergraduate degree. And then I went off and did kind of all different sorts of work. I worked with in child protection and with homeless uh, and disadvantaged young people. But there was always this part of me that knew that this was where I was meant to be. So I eventually uh, came back to actually coaching, life coaching. I thought that might be the closest that I would come back to psychology because it had been almost 10 years since I'd finished my undergraduate degree. And I don't know what it's like in the UK, but over here, after 10 years, you kind of have to start again. Your qualifications are considered too old. Um, mm-hmm. So I did a master's in coaching psychology and I started working with people in that way and that just really reignited my um, my interest in 
psychology and working one-on-one with people and helping people to live uh, happier and more meaningful and more fulfilling lives. I learned about a lot about myself along the way. In the meantime, I'd had a baby. I'd had my own experience of postnatal depression. I'd done two master's degrees, had my own experience of, you know, perfectionism and really, you know, anxiety and stuff that I hadn't experienced before. So um, I did kind of feel like I had my own experience to draw from. And I was really then motivated to work with other people to help them discover the tools that I had discovered myself so that I could find more of that peace and happiness and fulfillment in my own life. You know, not not just that inner peace um, from just managing your mind, but also just the whole career change. Like I worked with a lot of people as a coach who were in the same boat that I was in, like feeling like that they were in the wrong career and they missed the opportunity to do the thing that they really wanted to do. So, um, yeah, that that's the sort of the short, the short version of the very long and winding complicated story. And and you talk about the work that you do now, the coaching, you're a psychologist. Mm. And also you mentioned, which I find fascinating, that you work with children in child protection and homeless people. How do you find um, the link between the, the patterns of behaviours between the people that you coach and those that are, partic- are children now? So you might have some coaching clients that you that, – that say, oh, I feel not enough and this happened when I was young, then you've got the child aspect where you're seeing children in their wounds in that present moment. And then you've got, you know, homeless people who are really no different from us who are walking around. It's just manifested differently, but often it's the same thing that ended. they ended up homeless, so let's say feelings of not enough or abandonment or not a connection with parents. What patterns do you see in those three areas and how it links to childhood? So I guess just to backtrack a little bit so my first experiences in like my first work and actually volunteering at paid and unpaid work straight out of uni so I'm talking about you know 20-25 years ago were with in child protection and homeless youth so I still do some volunteering but I don't actually work in those areas anymore. Um, So you know, these days I work just with adults who are, uh, whether it's for coaching or for psychology, I do less clinical work now and more coaching work. But certainly what that experience gave me was a really, a broad, you know, kind of a deep understanding of yeah how we end up where we are based on where we've come from. And, you know, the and this was probably one of my frustrations with life coaching when I first kind of re-entered that was or, or entered that profession later was there's a lot of life coaches who would just and you've come across them Kat I know you have you know that just you just got to have enough motivation and you've just got to have enough willpower and you've just got to you know just do it and people who have had a traumatic upbringing or people who have had adverse experiences in their childhood they can't always just do it like there's a lot of deep wounds there there's a lot of stuff going on even at the unconscious level that prevents those people from doing that and the more that you tell them just get out and do it um the just the the crappier they really feel because then they're just adding that self uh 
that you know that self-loathing and self-judgment and what's wrong with me because I just can't do that that so and I saw a lot of people coming into the I after I trained as a life coach I also was teaching like I was training other life coaches and I saw a lot of people with no psychology background or no understanding of those other issues or even any understanding of mental health issues at all just assuming they could just fix people with their coaching you know they just needed to um just you know needed some more accountability or they just needed to um bust through those limiting beliefs which perhaps they did but they weren't really understanding where those limiting beliefs might have come from or really how to bust through those so that really motivated me to go back to get my to complete my postgraduate studies in psychology so I had the undergrad already but that motivated me to go and get the postgrad so that I could um, deepen my own knowledge of all of that stuff so that I was able to really help people um, and bring that um, you know that deeper understanding to to be able to truly help people to live their best life because it's just not enough to say, well, just, you know, just do it. You just need a more rah-rah. You, know, you just need more. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those rah-rah. Yeah. Things, we all know them. And, and I think I think that's such a, a an important thing to discuss that – that for those that have just gone out to a coach or are doing an online course or, you know, reading a book and they're just going, I'm, I'm going to do it. And then, then that deep thing, like our subconscious mind is a thousand times stronger than our totally. conscious mind. So it's one thing that we're sat there going, Oh, I really want to do this. And I want to start up this new business or I want to embark on this, but don't use it as a platform to self-loathe because there is that subconscious stuff that has to be looked at and explored. And often I say to my clients, because they sometimes they come with a bit of fear, which is completely natural. I say, you know what? You when I show you what's going on, you're gonna have that aha moment and go, I did know this. It was just so deeply within me, I didn't know it. Yeah. And it's very rarely a really, really traumatic thing. It, it might be a level of trauma, but but where, where it's people pleasing or their parents didn't give them the love that they needed or met their needs. And we talk about it as trauma. And and I was listening to Gabor Mata the other day, and he also says that this is the word for wound. This is the wound that we have as a child that just remains open until we're an adult and we prepare to look at it. Mm. But I think that's a really important thing to those that are listening that, you know, if you are feeling that. I can't do it. It's only because that subconscious mind is trying to keep you safe and stopping you. So it's there where the work needs to be got into. Exactly. And like you said, it's sometimes it really is just enough to bring that to bring what is unconscious to the consciousness and that's that realization and that awareness is all it takes. I just ran a retreat with 22 women on the weekend and we did some of this work, you know, about core beliefs and where they come from and how that creates these stories that they tell themselves and these rules that they live by. And you see these light bulbs going off because suddenly people say, oh, all right, yeah, look, I've just been taking this to be true and there's no there's no inherent truth to it at all. Like I can see where this pattern's come from and I can see that I have the power to change it and that's so empowering. Yeah, it is having that awareness and as soon as, like you say, as soon as you bring it into your consciousness, you can detect it and go, well, that's not a belief, that's not real now. That yeah. is a perception that I've based on an early childhood experience. 
That's so true. Yeah. And that's sometimes, you know, it's nothing, it's not like it takes months and months of therapy for people. Sometimes it really is just that, that awareness. Yeah, that illuminate, illuminating moment of, of like, oh, that makes sense. I see now. I can see Ooh. why I feel like I do or did. Yeah. So you've written your book, your first book, From Crappy to Happy. Mm-hmm. Tell me how, based on your book, what are your tips to finding happiness? What would be your, your, your main tips oh, that you would give people? Top tips. So mm-hmm. the, the, the book is a very little book. It's um, designed to be simple and very digestible. You can read it in a few hours, but there are 10 steps in it. And the 10 steps are things like, um, well, you know, that number one, you know, just recognizing, first of all, that happiness is a choice, that mental shift, that it's not always, we humans, it's proven, there's research that demonstrates that we're very, very bad at predicting what will make us happy. We think all of these things, when I get the relationship, when I get the job, when I get the income, when I get the house, when I upgrade, when I renovate the kitchen, when the kids are at school, when the kids are out of school, you know, when I get married, when I get divorced, we tell us we're constantly putting happiness out in front of us, on the other side of a goal or a problem that needs to be fixed or something that needs to be solved. And, you know, just recognizing that we can all choose to find happiness, like you said in your introduction, you know, in the moment, there's plenty of happiness right in front of us if we're prepared to stop and be present enough to see it and experience it and just shift our mindset. So there's that for starters. And then I think it's really like recognizing what are the true sources of contentment and um, fulfillment and satisfaction with life. And they often come from, you know, they're the goals that are intrinsically motivating, which is what feels good on the inside as opposed to what looks good on the outside because there are plenty of us, you know, preoccupied with doing all the things that look good externally, um, motivated by wealth, you know, fame, fortune, all that sort of stuff, which ultimately will leave you feeling, you know, oftentimes and you know not that fulfilled it's investing in social connections we we tend to I mean you know there's lots of reasons we're busy we've got busy full lives we uh, you know we're working we have families and all of the rest of it and we're not necessarily making time for important relationships and the research will indicate that you know, important, the quality of our social connections is the single biggest predictor of our happiness and our health and longevity. So we need to be really making the time for people and upping the quality of our relationships. How many times do we cancel a lunch or a dinner or a coffee because I'm too busy or something's come up? And especially friendships as opposed to intimate or, you know, family or partner relationships, we tend to see friendships as the optional relationships, they sort of go to the bottom of the list. Um, yeah. They're the last thought and, you know, they're the first things that we we put off or postpone. I mean, we've all had the experience, oh, we definitely should catch up. Yeah, no, we should catch up. We really should catch up. And then it's four months and then it's six months and then it's eight months. We really should catch up. And we just have these lives that don't allow for that. So we have to shift our focus onto those things that matter. And, and also I think it's, 
Can I just say, I think it's also about knowing. I was reading a book recently called The Blue Zones, and it the, the author had gone around the world to where there was the highest percentage of people that lived to over 100. Mm-hmm. And he documents what the things are. And of course, you know, we read a lot about, oh, it's all about diet, it's all about exercise. And of course, those are really important things. Um, however, the most important thing was connection. and being around people and you know our basic human need is to be loved and be connected you know if we're abandoned or we're we're isolated it is uh, it goes against our human our basic human needs and I think if that was just the one thing that people remembered in this modern world that actually so much goodness in our heart comes when we're connected to people that obviously make us feel good and I don't mean in in that they compliment us but they they fill our hearts we're just really happy to be with them and make us laugh and I think like you say in this modern world where we're online and we're yes. more disconnected it's all the more important to have face-to-face time if that's the one thing we do I would agree. I would agree. And I think that you nailed it with this with the online world and the social media. I believe that we almost um and I've said this I think in the book that you know social media gives us the illusion of connection because our brain just our brain's not very good at distinguishing real from perceived. Um, in many different ways and the same way that we can write a to-do list and feel really satisfied for doing that without actually having done anything on the to-do list we just feel really accomplished if we've written a list Um, our brain also I think when we see people online we see their holiday photos we see their baby snaps we give them a like we give them a comment it's like our brain kind of ticks off I've connected with that person but it's it's not it's no substitute for a face-to-face connection. It's often, you know, what we see online is not real. The quality of the, you know, it's just not in any way a substitute. But we, it gives us the illusion that we have, we've have made a connection and we've got to be really wary of that. We've got to actually make the time to get offline and sit face-to-face with people. Yeah, I agree. And um, we were talking about the work that you do as a whole and you've done over the years, whether it's coaching or, or, you know, helping homeless people, whatever. I found that when I reviewed um, my client work, I found that the root of many of my clients, I think it was like 95% of my clients, if I got really to that subconscious block or root, it was feelings of not enough, not lovable. Where do you find the roots of unhappiness coming from do you have a pattern that you've detected in in people that you work with that that holds them back yes I think that you're quite right I I believe we all have some version of the not good enough story um we all and and that manifests in different ways and certainly what I find now, I work predominantly with women, as you know, I know you do, and the, that not good enough thing plays out. It becomes anxiety. It becomes perfectionism. It's really, we're highly self-critical. That's a really consistent theme. 
that I see. And also it leads to this constant striving to be better. And I'm all for personal development. I really am. I'm a coach. Like set meaningful goals, like be your best self, achieve your potential. But but from a place of this matters to me and I feel empowered and I feel you know, strong and this is in line with my values and this is me wanting to be my best self in the world, not from a, the perspective that there's something deeply wrong with me that needs fixing and I'll only be happy with myself when I have fixed all these problems. You understand that distinction, like self-improvement that's driven from a place from like that really intrinsically motivating goals versus the self criticism and there's something wrong with me that needs to be better and then I'll be okay then I'll accept myself then I'll approve of myself so um I work with people to really get to the heart of that like where what's the real motivation for the goals that they want to achieve for themselves and um and you know just understanding all of that that you know even just the understanding that perfectionism is fear like that is just a fear of judgment and criticism and that is rooted in your your judgment and criticism of yourself and projecting that out to other people that everybody else is going to judge me and criticize me if i don't do everything perfectly like just tapping into that but i you know i think it's at the at the heart of it that's all the same thing all that anxiety perfectionism fear not good enough self critical be busy, do more, somehow fix myself, and then I'll then I'll approve of myself. Yeah, absolutely. And tell me, I see busyness mm-hmm. as a way of uh, that people often use busyness, and I'm you know I'm so busy looking after my kids, or I'm so busy at work, as a way sort of an addiction to avoid feeling feelings they totally. don't want to feel. Totally. Um, Talk to me about how you view busyness and the importance of unbusying ourselves and what benefits come from that. I think that you're right. I, I don't think it, it's all avoidance, but I think I think for a lot of people it is. It's just I I think Brene Brown is the one who who has the quote, you know, if I if you stay busy enough, you you know, stay right out in front of your life so you don't it won't, won't your feelings won't catch up with you, basically. Something like yeah. that. Um, it's also, I think, driven by this whole, I've got to do more and be more and achieve more and fill my life with stuff. Like in order for my life to be worthwhile or meaningful, I have to be, you know, overscheduled and overdoing it and have a, be busy at my work and my kids have to be in every extracurricular activity and I have to be, and this just is constant. And then if you're not busy, like then when you actually have downtime, your brain is so not uh, familiar with this concept of stillness and quiet time that the first thing it does is you know say well let's get distracted you know you pick up your phone and you're scrolling and you're so I think part of it is that is avoidance I think part of it is just this social conditioning that is going on now with our digital you know our modern digital high-tech worlds where we're just not allowing ourselves the space to just be still we are so used to I mean, remember the days when you had to write a letter and put it in the post and wait for it to be delivered and, you know, or you if you rang somebody and they were out, you got the answering machine and you had to wait for them to call you back. But we are so accustomed now to this instant. I, I can contact yeah. people instantly. I can have everything instantly. And we just are no longer comfortable to just slow down and allow that space. And that space is so important. Um 
not just for your physical health, but obviously for your psychological, your emotional health, your mental health, everything. We just have to start slowing down and giving ourselves the opportunity to, to you know, well, I'm a teacher of mindfulness as well. So just to observe, you know, what's really going on and what's, what's, what, what am I, you know, what's going on is not just what's going on in my outside world, but what's going on in my inside world. Absolutely. And and it's, you know, you have to look at the both of them in order to understand what's truly going on with oneself. Yes. You talked about the fact that you're a mother and you also mentioned perfectionism. Now, I know that when I became a mum all of seven years ago, it was the moment that I really truly saw perfectionism get crazy I was the mum who was making the christening cake uh doing the parties um making organic muffins and putting them in the freezer and la 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 and the list went on and I was just trying to be this perfect vision of this self-created vision in my head mm-hmm. uh, as a way to um well fail because of course there is no such thing as perfectionism Tell me about how you view perfectionism and also how 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 to find true happiness as a mother because this is the this was the point where all my stuff came up because you cannot keep everything under control when you birth children because everything just goes out the window and mm. for me it was like I birthed not just two wonderful children I birthed a whole load of emotions that I'd kept suppressed mm. So much of the work that I did when I when I did eventually go back and study my clinical psychology masters and I went into private practice, then the vast majority of the work that I did was with mothers, new mothers. I worked in perinatal and postnatal depression. My master's thesis was in mindfulness um, during the perinatal period to reduce the risk of um postnatal anxiety and depression and you know we I was drawn to that because I'd had my own experience also as a mother um but so so therefore I sat with women day in and day out and saw that just saw how that was manifesting in their own lives and what I noticed was that you know women especially who had we we women and we girls we're taught that we you know do everything right and we're well behaved and we tick all the boxes and we study and we get the gold stars and and that's how we get approved of you know we're socially conditioned about what the role is of women and what the role is of mothers and often the women that I saw were women who had done very well in their careers they were you know fairly high achieving they were intelligent and capable and they had structured their lives so that they were doing all the right things ticking the boxes probably you know being perfectionist and organized and diligent and that has what had worked for them to be successful in life and then as you say babies come along and there's no such thing <laughs> there is there is no control and you know often the first thing that I would ask mothers would be so are you typically a person who likes to be able to plan and predict and control and you know be all of and they go yep 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 that's me have you typically been fairly high achieving you know like order you know and that yeah that's me and <laughs> those people would would be you know really really struggling and so just l- helping them to learn to you know let go of all of that just to be able to embrace the imperfection and to 
be, you know, go with the flow, which was really challenging when that had been the complete opposite of how they, what had served them up until that point. You know, in a way, all of that stuff had served them. And we tell ourselves, even if it's kind of dysfunctional, we tell ourselves it's serving a useful purpose um, until it stops serving us, until it no longer works. And that's when it all unravels. And so, like you said, like that's when all of, all of that work often needs to be done. And those, and then, as you say, like when that, that when you're out of control, that when then that often is when all of those emotions come up. And with parenting, uh, you know, you, you know as well as I do that in times of stress, we revert to what we know best, and what we know best as parents is how we were parented. And so, mothers would find themselves really distressed that they were behaving in ways that just was they were not being the mother they wanted to be they were were falling into patterns from their own childhood for example which was which that all of the things that they said that they would never be (laughs) they were suddenly and so then there was a lot of that stuff to look at as well so there's a lot of self-compassion a lot of mindfulness a lot of letting go and accepting um all of that sort of stuff that is useful for all of us especially true for for new mothers yeah and 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 even if you haven't had an opportunity to hear those words as a new mum you know even if your kids are are older you know they still the the problems or I don't really like to call them problems but the challenges that come with being a parent whether it's a newborn, a one-year-old, a five-year-old, or a teenager, still requires all of those, like you said, acceptance, going with the flow, um, mm. letting go of of perfection. All of this applies um, to to them throughout the ages. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely the the biggest like wake up yeah. um, is 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 when they when they first arrive, and you're like, oh my gosh, was what, what has happened to my life? Um, and it, it is a big adjustment what, what do you think I often wonder about um you know if you speak to mums before they have children as a hypnotherapist obviously it's all about the way one speaks to, to ourselves mm-hmm. and you want to set people up for success so it, I get torn between you wouldn't I don't believe that it's necessarily a good idea to talk to mums who haven't birthed yet about what may or may not happen because you're you could create something that wasn't there in the first place. Mm. Um, so it's a difficult one of of prepping mums for you know let go of this and you know go into acceptance and go with the flow when they might be that kind of person already. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, and uh, you know I think that you don't. Anybody who's a mother will know that you you can't possibly you will never comprehend what it is to be a mother until you become a you know you you just don't get it nobody gets it until it actually happens so there's that but what I the study that I was involved in was just teaching the eight week mindfulness based cognitive therapy program which is a which is a course that anybody can do which is relevant to anybody um, just for managing life. Uh, it's you know it's a it's a version of John Kabat-Zinn's MBSR mindfulness-based stress reduction, which is you know stress reduction. So it's just mindfulness. It's essentially learning how to observe thoughts and feelings. And so even it didn't even have a focus on motherhood 
when we were teaching that course, it was just taking them through the eight-week program, um, teaching them the skills of being able to observe thoughts and feelings and to be able to sit with, you know, sit with discomfort and to not have to act on every thought that popped in their head, to not have to move to avoid every uncomfortable feeling, just to learn those skills of acceptance and mindfulness and just having that as a foundation, they were able to draw on that, you know, so you didn't even have to touch on anything to do with motherhood or parenting or what might happen or what might, what baby they might have or what might go, you know, happen during the birth. It was just, a, it's a, it's a toolbox. And overwhelmingly, because I interviewed those women after they had babies and, and they all said that they really found that they were just able to just remember those those things when times were tough and when they found themselves getting really distressed or overwhelmed or whatever, that they would just had that that foundation and that that gave them something to hold on to, to help them to manage those those times. Yeah, and I think it, that's that's a really great reminder to people who who just need a sort of a basis of, of, of like you say, calmness, that mm. just simple mindful tools really have a very big impact and don't underestimate you know obviously so much is spoken about mindfulness but there's a there's a reason for that because there are some very beneficial tools that help us just navigate and particularly in this busy demanding 24-hour society those tools really do benefits one's nervous system the other thing um obviously your book is called crappy to happy which the reason that I connected with you is that I just I thought that your title of your book was great and um, quite charming. And when we were talking before we were on air today, you were talking about the struggle to juggle. And I know for so many that that is real. Mm. And, you, you know, you, you were talking about it with yourself. And how would you guide people to navigate that struggle to juggle? Oh, um, look, I think that we have to, that's, a, that's challenging when we are so busy because everything feels urgent and it feels like we don't have the time. And I get that way myself where it feels like I actually don't have the time to like stop and reflect on this because I've just got too much to do right now. Um, but I think where possible by just taking, stepping back, I, I journal every morning or most mornings now. I don't beat myself up if I don't do it every morning. But I, I use that as an intention setting kind of exercise. I look at in life we go through um, busy periods and quieter periods and that is just life. Like there's no such thing as a um, perfect balance. But if things are feeling overwhelming, I come back to what is like what really matters right now and reminding myself of what really matters right now and and just checking in with myself about whether I'm getting caught up in um, trying to do too much or taking on too much responsibility that's not mine. Do I need to let go of some things? Do I need to just make time for some self-care because I'm letting myself get too consumed with work stuff? Um, but I, I think we have to be realistic about the amount of time and energy that we have and where we're putting it and whether we are really investing it in the things that ultimately are, are what matters, are ultimately the things that make us feel fulfilled. Um, you know, I have my own business. 
you have yours and sometimes just stepping back and going what am I doing like where is my day going and am I actually putting my time into the things that really are important for me to do am I taking on things that somebody else could do I now have some a team and I find myself dipping into admin stuff and website stuff and email stuff and then I have to go hang on a minute why am I doing this somebody else can do that asking for help I should just add asking for help is really really important um whether it's hiring a cleaner ordering groceries getting your partner to do take on some extra today I asked my mum to pick up my daughter from school because my husband is traveling at the moment just being willing to ask for support and yeah and then just checking whether you you know really checking whether you're putting your energy into what's the most important I I I have found since I embarked on my journey that you'd mentioned it earlier that being in flow and asking yourself what is the priority what needs to be done now now it's not about leaving things to the last minute but whereas before part of my perfectionism that I would write list after list of what I had to do and I'd almost almost create things that I would add to the list just to to keep myself busy and to that the idea was if I achieve this list I subconsciously I will be good enough I will Mm -hmm. feel good about myself because I've achieved and now what I do is sometimes I get those moments of overwhelm like oh I've got quite a lot to do this week or today and I'll and and this is what I do. I I sort of look at my day and I go, okay, what part is, is me just telling my old story of overwhelm, and what actually really needs to be done? Like where what what is important on this day? And if I just simplify those things, I go, okay, yeah, that needs to be done, and I do that, and then that's the next thing. And actually, those other things really don't have to happen today. In mm. fact, they probably don't even have to happen tomorrow, but they're part of that old pattern and that thought pattern of, I have to do all these things. And if I don't, I'm not good enough. Yeah. And I found that dealing with what what presents itself, and, and it's kind of about being in that present moment or dealing with what, what is occurring at that time. And I remember reading years ago, Eckhart Tolle, and he was saying, and it was obviously one in, in the power of now. And he said, ask yourself, if you're worrying or you're overwhelmed or you're feeling anxious, ask yourself, am I okay in this very present moment? And sure enough, unless you're being chased by a lion, you are okay in that present moment, that that anxious feeling or the fear or whatever is coming up is actually something that you're creating and is not happy you are okay at that present time and I thought that that was a really powerful um question to ask oneself and it's it's similar to what do I need to do right now what what is what is really presenting itself do you do you sorry do you find that the power yeah. <laughs> now was a life changer for me too. That's years ago that I read that. But I just wanted to say when you're talking about that, that I started to read that book and I just didn't get it. And then I put it aside and I came back to it. It might have even been, you know, three, four years later, I picked it up and read it again. And it's, I think you have to be in that headspace to really get that because exactly what you just said then, like, is anything, is there danger? Is there something threatening you right this minute? And I was like, oh my gosh, like, no, I'm actually perfectly fine. I'm perfectly happy. 
all of this is just created in my head right now. And it was game changing. Um, so yeah, anyway, I just, I, that, that book had that same effect on me and that has really stayed with me. Yeah, because it it isn't an easy book to read. And if anyone is thinking about picking up or has read it, I think, you know, they'll, they'll know what, what, what we mean. But I always find that these books come at exactly the right moment. That, that like you said, when you first picked it up, I was like, you were like, oh, not so sure. And then you pick up a few years later and it was just at the right time. And there is nuggets that, that are so powerful in there. Um, and yeah, it, it, it is, it, it can be at times a challenge, but, but if you can just sift through those nuggets of gold, they are definitely worth sitting out for you know, sitting out for. But Cass, thank you so much for sharing your tips on finding happiness. As you say, happiness is a choice. So I I say to my audience now, you know, choose it as of today. I'm sure many of my readers, Cass, will be implementing your tools and picking up your copy or their copy of Crappy to Happy. Thank you so much, Cass, for your insightful words of wisdom. Thank you for having me, Cass. My pleasure. Don't forget to share my podcast, Honestly Cat, with your friends and family so that we together can reach more women and help them to rise and shine and live a happier life. Your comments, support and reviews are all so welcome. And don't forget to pick up your copy of Born to Shine, the modern woman's guide to a happier life from all major bookstores. See you on the next episode of Honestly Cat. I'm your host, Kat Raincock, and it's been an absolute pleasure. This is the podcast to sit back, to listen to, and to grow.